0: This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine, and welcome back to another episode of the Goldmine Podcast. The Goldmine Podcast is a proud member of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. Happy holiday season 2020, and 2020 has been a challenging year. I don't need to remind anybody of that, but at least we have the year-end holidays to make us feel better. And what's better to make Christmas feel better and even more special than Christmas music, especially the classic music many of us experience on vinyl records with our families in years past. And if we wanted to uh, to know how to go about compiling a great collection of classic Christmas records, well, longtime Goldmine writer Tim Neely wrote a great article for us for the January edition of Goldmine which is on newsstands now at select Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Record Stores. Uh, Tim takes you through the steps of building a classic Christmas album collection in a cost-effective way. On the podcast, we're going to review those steps with Tim, play you some snippets from songs, and talk about some albums not covered in the article. More contemporary Christmas records. And hello, Tim. Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. It's good to have you on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, you're a longtime contributor to Goldmine, so I-, I love chatting with you. You're a big record collector. Uh, you did a wonderful job on this piece about collecting Christmas records, and this is a this is a uh, an area. The one things you have thing you have collected over the years, as far as records, has been Christmas records. So needless needless to say, you know your holiday music. Um, when did you start collecting Christmas albums?
1: Well, um, I uh, I can't say it was the start of a collection, but way back in 1967, uh, my parents bought an album from the. Uh, from Grant's, which is an old department store that went out of business, went bankrupt in 1976. Well, they started putting out um, a series of Christmas albums. Um, right. And the first one was called a very Merry Christmas. And they bought this album and it was the first grown grown-up album that they let me play gotcha. you know, before that. Yeah. Before that it had been all Kitty records, you know, um, you know, Peter Pan stuff you know what would that was what you know happy time records a couple labels like that um, but that was the first grown up record that they let me play uh, I later uh ended up with that very record in my collection once I started to collect um, I began getting Christmas music almost as soon as I started collecting records uh, i oh uh, I started collecting forty fives Uh, in 1973 and i started to pick up albums not right away but pretty soon thereafter Mm. Uh, as far as as far as the christmas music goes i really started to dig deeply into it i'd say in the 1980s and uh and you know and, and even then you know when i was starting to uh, get a Christmas album collection together. Uh, many of the very kinds of compilations that I talk about in the article were easy to find, and they were cheap. you know they were a quarter, fifty cents at most often a dollar you know <laughs> yeah. then, and if right. there was a yeah, and if there was a little gap in the collection, I might pay a little more to to complete a right. set um, and then of course, I would also get. The single artist albums as well were appropriate uh, right now I can't remember off the top of my head what the first uh, single
0: going.
1: single artist Christmas album I ever had was it wouldn't surprise me if it was something like um, it it could have been john denver's Rocky mountain Christmas it could have been uh, it could have been um, one of the Andy Williams albums. It could have been by Bing Crosby or, or it could have been the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. I'm just not sure at this point in my life exactly what that first one was. Right. But I just know, yeah. But I just know that after a while the collection began to mushroom and uh, uh, the, al- the album part of the collection now numbers well over 2,000. And that's just Christmas music and that doesn't include albums that maybe have a Christmas song on them. Gotcha. Amidst other things. Uh for example, the um you know, there's a Peter, Paul and Mary album, which I if I I think it's called Moving, which was their album that came out in nineteen sixty three, and there's a Christmas song on that album mm-hmm. called A Solin, you know, that and that uh, um that is You know that's an example Uh, of course later on in the 80s the pretenders had the album i believe it was learning to crawl and two thousand miles yes uh, their classic christmas song is on that album and of course the the pretenders never did a whole christmas album Uh, so so yeah so there are gems like that that you can find hidden on albums that don't also that don't have christmas music on them except for maybe one song
0: yeah, 2,000 miles is one of the be- best Christmas songs, I think. Uh, the yearning it, for home. There, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell us about these um, compilations that corporations used to get involved with. You, you mm. mentioned Goodyear, Firestone, True Value yeah. Hardware, and then you mentioned Grants. That was probably one of your first ones.
1: Yes it was. Um, I'll mention Goodyear and Firestone first because you know they were, of course were two tire companies and they were both headquartered in Akron, Ohio and they were fiercely competitive with one another going back to practically the invention of the tire mm-hmm. and uh, Um, And in 1961, and off the top of my head, I may have mentioned the name in the article, and off the top of my head, I can't remember it, but there was a fellow who came up with the idea of putting together a Christmas album to sell for cheap at Goodyear tire stores. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, uh, he came up with the idea, and the people at Goodyear were not overly enthusiastic about it at first
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then and but but he said you know if you put it together and you put it in the stores you have no idea how many copies of this thing you can sell hmm. you know, just people people who you know come in the store maybe they're getting a, a, a you know getting tires getting a battery getting you know doing whatever and they see it at the checkout and it becomes an impulse buy if it costs little enough mm-hmm. uh, i think The original ones cost a dollar or 99 cents or a dollar 99. They were not expensive at all. So they could easily be an impulse buy. Well, the first year, um, the, the guy who came up with the idea for Goodyear somehow convinced them to press. I believe the number I quoted was 250,000 copies of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be sold by one chain. In other words, this was not available in record stores. It wasn't available in department stores. It was only available at Goodyear. And they got to the point where I think around December 1st of 1961, which is the year the first one came out, Goodyear had to tell its advertising agencies to stop promoting the album in its ads because they had sold out of the entire 250,000 copies. <laughs> uh. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that was b- by December 1st and and of course, w- you know, once that happened, the um, the idea of course spread elsewhere. Yeah. Um, w- what what Goodyear did was they worked with uh, Columbia Records hmm. to put together, I, you know, um, it was the the earliest ones were fairly classical or light classical in nature. They had a lot of Andre Castellanets and uh, Percy Faith and, and people like that. Mm. Um, and because I guess, the, you know, they were trying to uh, appeal to eh, maybe a little more upscale audience at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now the next year, of course, you know, Firestone, seeing what Goodyear had done, they took it one step further. They actually decided to start their own series of Christmas albums. And what was different about Firestone is they actually hired an uh, an advertising jingle agency to put them together, and they recorded all new material for Mm. the Firestone albums. And not only that, but they arranged it in such a way that it was almost like a mini cantata. In other words, you would play the whole album, and it was like a unified whole. Um, mm. And the back covers had the lyrics on them, and you know, so you could sing along or follow along, whatever the case may be. Uh, they hired stars from Broadway, uh, you know, and, and you know, and 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 really, um, and and they may even have sold them more cheaply than Goodyear did. Uh, The the Firestone series continued until 1968. The Goodyear series continued um, well into the 1970s. Wow. And, yeah. And, and, you know, so they were a big... They were definitely a big thing.
0: Was was there a a certain song that you remember that stands out from these two um, competitors?
1: Uh, Well... The ones that were, ones that were interesting a good year eventually started to get artists from Columbia to record songs that were exclusive to their albums right um yeah and and in some cases for for decades, they were the only place you could find these albums when when, when the artists put out their own Christmas albums, these songs were not on their that's, christmas albums
0: that's interesting yeah.
1: um, yeah, one one that comes to mind immediately that I actually didn't rediscover until many years later was there's a group called the New Christy Minstrels, who it seemed like just about everybody who became famous later on was a member of the New Christy <laughs> Minstrels at some point. Uh, Barry McGuire of Eve of Destruction fame, yeah. uh, Kenny Rogers, uh, was a member of the New Christy Minstrels. Uh, one of the members of the Birds, I think it was Gene Clark, was right. in the New Christy Minstrels. Uh, later on in their history, Kim Carnes, uh, Betty Davis, Eyes was a member <laughs> of the New Christy Minstrels. So yeah, like I said, it seems like just about <laughs> there was a whole series of performers who became famous as solo artists who were who started out or at least got a good boost being in the New Christy Minstrels. Uh, they were basically a folk group, and they did a medley of songs for one of the Goodyear albums, and, um, gosh, there three songs in it. I think one of them was He Is Born, one of them is Joseph Dearest, Joseph Mine, and there's a third song in the medley, which really stuck out to me as one of the highlights of the Goodyear albums. Um, as for the Firestone albums, one year... Uh, they actually, and it was 1966, I believe, they managed to get a coup and they managed to get Julie Andrews, who at the time was the star of the sound of music, the right. movie version. Uh, you know she was you know one of the most popular actresses in America. And they got her, and of course she could sing. she, she started out doing musicals on Broadway. Yeah. and they got her to do an entire album exclusively for Firestone. Uh, and uh, a year after Firestone did the album, they re-released it in a slightly different running order on the RCA Victor label, which was her label in the U.S., and it didn't sell very well because so many people had bought the Julie Andrews version from Firestone the year before, and they (laughs) realized it was basically the same album at four times the price. Right, right. (laughs) um, Well, That Julie Andrews album has a lot of highlights on it. The the one that sticks out to me is a song called The Sunny Bank, which actually is a a different title version of a song better known as I Saw Three Ships. You know, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. That song, Um, that one sticks out as one of the highlights of her album.
2: As I sat on a sunny bank on Christmas day, on Christmas day, as I sat on a sunny bank on Christmas day in the morning. I saw three ships go sailing by, go sailing by, go sailing by. I saw three ships go sailing by on Christmas day in the morning.
0: She has a beautiful, Uh, she she had a a wonderful voice.
1: Yes, she does. Um, And, um, you know, I know eventually I think you know, eventually she did an entire Christmas album independently of the Firestone album. I want to say in the nineteen seventies. Um, but that one from the sixties still stands out as, as being a real highlight.
0: I'm sure artists jumped from like Firestone to Goodyear to True Value Hardware to Grants, uh right? There must have been yeah. some
1: yeah, it wasn't so much the artists, but it was the record labels involved. And yes, the, the artists, yes. Yeah, the artists didn't have a whole lot of say. Say, except right. for the, Again, the you know the Firestone ones were recorded exclusively for Firestone, and so of course the artist had some say in that. Um, but for example, the True Value series was started in 1966, uh, and actually lasted w- well into the 21st century. Ooh. Uh, um, Um, on CDs, Um, they, even in their first 10 years, they they first came out through Columbia Special Products, then they went to RCA Special Products, and then they went to Capital's um, uh, Special Markets Division. So in that relatively short period of time, they they were affiliated with three different labels. And of course, because of that, you have three three different sets of artists who are part of that, because In those days, there wasn't a whole lot of cross-licensing going on. In other words, if it was put out by, you know, if it, if it said Columbia Special Products on it, all the artists were on, from Columbia, maybe with an occasional epic on there, which of course is one of the Columbia labels. Uh, same with RCA, they were all RCA artists, and with Capital, they were all Capital artists. So, by, you know, so by changing from one, uh, one special Marcus division to another, you would get quite the variety of artists, uh, over a relatively short period of time. You know, Capital, of course, would have, you'd have Nat King Cole on there, and you'd have Wayne Newton, and you'd have Peggy Ooh. Lee, and, uh, you know, the Holly Ridge Strings, and, and, you know, the, the artists that they controlled. On RCA, you would have the Robert Shaw Chorale, or you'd have, uh, Ed Ames, or you'd have Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops—you uh, know, artists that they controlled. Now, one artist who, yeah, so yeah, so one uh, one artist that was not on these until much later was Elvis Presley. There was a very—he oh, yes. uh, you know, didn't start to appear on these Christmas compilations until the 1980s. You know, of course, after he had passed, and oh. after the uh after the restrictions on licensing his stuff for special markets our albums became a little bit easier to handle uh you know and of course columbia had you know i mentioned some people already andre Castellanos and percy Faith. they had tony bennett they had barbara streisand they had the new christie minstrels they had jerry vale they had doris day they had patty page uh, yeah, this just oh, you know, yeah. because they, there was there, you know, such a wide variety of artists, you know, again, and again, True Value, what they did, of course, was they would bounce from one uh, one affiliation to another. And so they would get quite the variety of different artists over a relatively short period of time. Well, that
0: was one of my family's uh, favorites. And I re- remember fondly, and it was called Happy Holidays, right? And yes. they, they sold it at True Value Hardware. But there, yeah. there were some songs on there, as you point out. Um, speaking of Elvis Presley, you said a volume twenty four in nineteen eighty nine um, is scarce on vinyl. I guess it was only mm-hmm. f- few were pressed, mostly CDs. Yeah.
1: and yeah, well, yeah. Well, actually, actually, volume twenty four is mostly cassettes.
0: Ah, yeah, really? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Cause, Interesting. Cause true, you know, true, Yeah, because true value. Um mostly is you, know, you don't find a whole lot of true value hardwares in big cities they're mostly in small towns in suburbs that yes. kind of thing and so they, they catered to a different audience than mm. uh places that were in in big cities and so yes the um in throughout most of the 80s at true value the cassette was the biggest selling format i didn't know uh, it, that okay yeah yeah volume twenty four is, is fairly rare on vinyl and i'm i've been told it exists on c d but i i've never seen one <laughs> let's put it that way um volume twenty five from nineteen ninety is the first one i know for sure is on is on c d but uh, uh but yeah the, many of these were kind of slow to adapt to to changing formats because their audiences didn't necessarily adapt as quickly as the rest of the industry did.
0: Well, you said that there's an Elvis Presley cut on 1990s volume 24. It's a, a two record set. And there's, yeah. Do you remember the cut? You said this is a rare one. Um,
1: yeah, it, it the, the volume 25 actually. Oh, it's volume 25. It, it, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, the, the track itself isn't rare, but the album is quite rare. Mm. Uh, you know, The only copy I've ever seen, um, I actually, it's, you know, I don't know, I remember how many years ago this was now. It's got to be at least 20 years ago that I did an article for Goldmine specifically on the True Value Hardware uh, Christmas series of records, tapes, and CDs. And that article had a discography in it. And one uh, one person i talked to for the article was actually the person who was in charge of putting those albums together
2: hmm.
1: and uh, he, and he actually told me some of the you know, many of which i used in the article some of the inside stories behind some of the song selection and you know the whole process of deciding well should we make more cd's than cassettes should you know should we phase out records um he actually s- sent me a copy of the volume 25 on vinyl, and to this day it's still the only copy I've ever seen is the yeah. copy that he sent me. Um, so, and again, it it's one that I don't know, I haven't looked at other people's price guides in a long time, so I don't know if it's ever been uh, noted elsewhere, but I know for a long time even the Elvis Presley collectors, the obsessive ones who collect everything, even if it's a even it, even if a compilation has a song that you can find more easily elsewhere, right? The ones who collect everything, yeah. You know, the ones who collect everything did not have Happy Holidays Volume Twenty Five on their <laughs> list of vinyl records. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so you definitely so, have something um, special there. Do you know how much it's worth? Uh,
1: I I have no idea. Um, yeah. you know the, the Christmas records in general. As you know, one of the cool things about collecting them is that most of them, you know, most, at least the kind I talked about in the article, are not worth very much. Um, You know, they're at at most, you know, I mean, you can find most of them for even today for under five dollars. Yeah, it's not about
0: it's not about investing. It's more about a collection, enjoying your collection. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's, 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 it's if, you, you know, if you decided to, you know, decide to get back into vinyl again, decide, you know, got a, a decent turntable and want to play something in the background while you're rapping presents or right. cutting the tree, uh, or whatever, just to get in the mood for the season, uh, you know, having some of these albums, and what's nice about them is a lot of them, of course, only got played a Few weeks a year, so right. a lot of, them are, still, good, a lot of them are still in pretty good shape, yeah, yeah. yeah even after all these years. <laughs> I
0: like, I like a mention here about uh, the Happy Holidays series. As you said, that sure, there's a Nat King Cole song, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, which uh, mm-hmm. was deleted from his Christmas album, uh, yes, so that's interesting, um, yeah. God rest she merry gentlemen. Let nothing
2: you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy,
1: comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Yeah, you know, what happened with? It, it, I'll, I'll tie both of them in here, and then of course, Happy Holidays you know, again, they, especially as they got closer to the present, you know, the relative present day, they became more adventurous in the songs that they licensed. But um, but what's interesting about that song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, is the original Nat King Cole Christmas album that nobody seems to remember, it was only available for, I think, Three years in its original format. It was called The Magic of Christmas. It had a completely different cover on it, but it had, it had most of the same songs as on the familiar album, The Christmas Song, Mm. except it didn't, it did not have the Christmas song on it. Uh, Mm. You know, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which is probably the Song most closely associated with Nat King Cole. Right. Uh, it was not, it was not on that album. He had already done, he had actually, by the time that album came out, he'd recorded it twice already for singles. And, uh, in, so he recorded the album in 1960. And then in 1961, uh, he put out a three record set through Capitol that was called the Nat King Cole story. And basically covered his entire career from the, from the, War two, World War Two period right up to what he was doing in 1961 and for that album he re-recorded many of his older songs and one of the songs he re-recorded was the Christmas song mm. and it was it was the first time that he recorded it in stereo because the last time he had done it uh, was in 1953 and it was recorded to mono in other words in mono sound and um it, by 1963, I think people were wondering why the Christmas song wasn't on his Christmas album. And so Capitol reconfigured the album to add the Christmas song to it. But then they realized it would, in the, and they, but they realized that it would be, it was already a 14 song album and they realized it would be too long with 15 songs on it. And so, to put the Christmas song on it, they removed a "God Rest Ye Merry Gentleman, I think is the song we're talking right, about. Right, it is. And and so so for a long time, that was kind of one of the lost Nat King Cole
2: songs. Right,
1: right. And what's interesting, again, of course, is that you know, True Value Hardware licensed it for one of their Happy Holidays albums, I believe, in the 1980s, which was pretty remarkable that someone remembered that and uh, put this. Very Long smart Nat King Cole song. Right. Yeah, very smart, absolutely. Um, you know, the song has, of course, reappeared, and there have been many different variations of Nat King Cole Christmas CDs and and streaming playlists over the years. Uh, so that song's not nearly as lost as it once was, but certainly in the 1980s, it was kind of a forgotten Nat King Cole song because it was no longer on the version of of the Christmas song album right. that you could buy in the stores.
0: Right. Now now the next uh thing is Grants. Now you you remarked that True Valley Hardware was mostly in uh say suburban or more rural areas. Now Grants mm-hmm. I remember being in my suburban town in a shopping center. Yes. Uh, Five and Dime, they were kind of like, I guess you would call it Woolworths or Kmart, right? Um, Yeah, they
1: were very much like, uh, in fact, I remember a a town not too far from where I grew up, uh, literally, they were almost literally, Grants and Woolworths were almost literally next door to each other (laughs) in the downtown area. Um, They were were a couple stores apart, but they were right there, and then there was another shopping center, as they called them back then, uh, where... Uh, grants was in one part of the shopping center, and Woolworth's was just down the uh, just down a short walk from the grants. There were right. again about four or five stores between them uh so yeah they they tended to spring up in the same locations and uh you know obviously um Woolworth's lasted a bit longer than grants did you know, they were better managed and then and of course Woolworths decided to go into the larger discount store kind of idea kind of like to compete with Kmart they came up with Woolco which you may remember mm-hmm. and um but yeah Grants was uh, yeah, I, I I definitely remember going to Grants and um, when oh, I was yeah. a kid. And in fact, I used to. Well, that's where my parents used to take us to visit with Santa Claus was to Grants. Right. <laughs> and,
0: and the great thing here about their albums, they were a little late to the game because the first volume right. was '67. But right. y- you mentioned that for almost 15 years, the only way to get Simon and Garfunkel's version of the Star Carol was on a Grants compilation.
1: That's correct. Uh, which, for a few years, made it um, a little bit more uh, collectible than most of the other most of the other chain store um, Christmas albums. Uh, I, I I think you know it's, it's one of those. Instead of people paying five bucks at most for it, people might pay ten or fifteen dollars for it right. because of that uh, that one Simon and Garfunkel song.
2: Jesus, how tiny thou art I'll make a place for thee in my heart And when the stars in the heavens I see
1: You know, I, I, in I believe the year was 1981 that it was used again on another uh, special products compilation. Uh-huh. Although this one was not, it wasn't uh, affiliated with a particular department store. That uh, was called "Dreaming of a White Christmas," and that one was in print for so long that it actually showed up on CD in the early 90s. Uh, that exactly yeah. that same. Uh, that same compilation with the Simon and Garfunkel song on it, right. and you know, people probably plopped down about you know five bucks for the CD at the, you know at the discount store, and had no idea they were getting a rare song. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the Star Carol didn't show up on a Simon and Garfunkel collection until the Old Friends box set came out. Uh, was it ninety seven, ninety eight, something in that era, um, where uh, it, it it turns out they actually had recorded two Christmas songs, hmm. and the other one, the other one had been left in the can since nineteen sixty seven, and the first time that one showed up was on the Old Friends box set. It was a version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, oddly enough, that they titled Comfort and Joy in their arrangement. Yeah, but the Star Carol is in, an interesting uh, song, and I know I remember you know even some Simon and Garfunkel diehards had either forgotten about or didn't know it existed. And the, um, but there it was on an easily obtainable uh, album that had been sold at Grants in 1967, <laughs> which was that was the year it was recorded. By the way, yeah. it was uh,
0: well. It's interesting that as the '60s went to '70s, it became kind of like overkill with these these corporate compilations I mean you got Zenith Philco JC Penney, Acme um, Acme was a, a grocery chain and then you had yes, you know Avon was. Ace hardware it just got to me at least I don't know how you felt about it but it kind of got out of control but in yeah. all, in all this right one of the greatest compilations was not a, a corporate one it was a Christmas gift for you. Phil Spector's Christmas mm-hmm. album, and that's been reissued, yep. right? Just this year, I believe.
1: Yes, and yes, uh, the, um, mm-hmm. And that is a yeah. great one.
0: You even emphasize that as probably one of the best.
1: Yeah i I really have grown to enjoy that one over the years. I know uh, the first. I I think the first song I ever heard off of it was the Ronettes version of Sleigh Ride, which, my goodness, still sounds great to this day. album to find uh and because it kept going in and out of print every several years (laughs) and and i i finally found a copy in in the i want to say the late 1980s and it was one of the reissues uh i believe the copy i first came up with was the reissue i mentioned that came out on the passport label uh, which was one of one of the stereo versions Mm. and um you know of course as is true with virtually everything that phil Spector ever produced it's better to be listen to it in mono but it's so but um but at least it was a copy of the album and like and it's like i finally have this album you know <laughs> just because again it would pop, it would pop in and out of print so often and of course it you know even the issues were not cheap. <laughs> Just, right, you wouldn't um,
0: find these in bargain bins, in used bins, and records. No,
1: n- not very. Unless, unless, unless it was really yeah. beat to, yeah. you know, where uh, <laughs> right. you, you'd never find it in a bargain bin. And uh, you know, and, and of course, it, it it came out on a. Couple of collectible labels to begin with. You know, the original issue, of course, was on Phil Spector's own uh, Phyllis Records label, right. 1963, and then the first reissue of it was on Apple Records, which Apple Records, of course, being the Beatles' label, is collectible in its own right. <laughs> and uh, um, you know, and then it came out again on the um, in the mid '70s. Uh, Phil Spector made a deal with Warner Brothers and he started up a label called Warner slash Spector Records. And uh, it came out, the album, the Christmas album came out on that label. And then it came out on a short-lived uh, CBS affiliate called Pavilion Records. Mm-hmm. And then it came out on Passport. And then and then it finally came out, uh, a, a legitimately good reissue came out on Rhino in 1987 Mm. And then, um, and then finally, uh, it ended up on uh, affiliated with Abco Records, Alan Klein's label in 1989. Yeah, a box set, uh, which is where it was. Yeah, and it came out as part of a box set. Then, as, as in, in 1991, the uh, box set back to mono. Yeah, vinyl box set. vinyl box set, and there was actually a, a, one entire record was dedicated to a Christmas gift for you in that box set.
0: And that's out and, of print, right? I mean, that's
1: yeah, yeah. I've never seen yeah, that uh, oh. around. Um, yeah that that vinyl that vinyl version of that was hard to find. You know, even in 1991. Right. I mean, that was by by then vinyl was starting to, you know, it was already starting to disappear. Right. By 1990, but by 91 it got to the point where I, you know, I got to the point where I think I pretty much had to special order anything I wanted on vinyl. (laughs) You know, and of course, of course, I had to find out that it really existed on vinyl. And then, (laughs) uh, once I, (laughs) which, which wasn't always easy in those days. Or you used gold (laughs) mine
0: to mail order.
1: Well, well, that was a gold mine was a great source for finding out what was on vinyl. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, yeah, you know, there were you know, there were some advertisers who specialized in right. nothing but new vinyl, whether it was whether it was domestic or import or albums or seven inches or picture discs or twelve inches or whatever. And yeah, um, you know that was in, in before I was before I uh, wrote for Goldmine. I was a subscriber, and yeah. so I, um, you know, so yeah, Goldmine ended up being a really good source for a lot of things in those days. I think that one I was able to find in a store because by then there were several places that would special order things for me, even if they didn't necessarily have vinyl in their stocks on a daily basis. Mm. You know, if I if I mentioned that, number one, if I mentioned that it was out there, number two, if I guaranteed that I would buy it if they got it in, uh, they would order things for me.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah.
0: And, and what's cool and then, is that... 2014, you had a red vinyl edition, which I love for yes. Christmas, uh, record store day. Um,
1: yes, but- yeah, yeah. Um, Sundays uh, had got you know. After a while, um, I think you know, coincidentally, it was about the time that Phil Spector was having his legal problems uh, with the, um, you know, with the with the murder or whatever that was, and uh, the rights to his music passed from um abco records to um uh, who did i it was like emi music publishing or something and yes. it ended up on a sony and it ended up on sony music in the u.s Sony, Legacy, sony music right? yeah. did, did probably the you know the best sounding cd version of the album mm. that's still available to this day mm. and then they also like at the time sony music wasn't doing a lot of vinyl and they licensed the vinyl rights to Sundays Records in New York, mm. and uh, and and that version of the vinyl is again probably the best sounding version of the vinyl version that mm. is out there. Um, and that is the one you know it was available on standard black vinyl for many years. And of course, then as I meant as you mentioned, the uh, it was put pressed on uh, special red vinyl edition for uh, the. Black Friday record store day in 2014, and then finally this year 2020, uh, Sony Music got the rights back for the vinyl, and they did their own. They have done their own <laughs> vinyl version right. of the album. So, uh, so you know, just collecting the um, the different versions of Phil Spector's Christmas album, <laughs> Christmas Gift for You. You can get a mini collection just doing that. <laughs> yeah,
0: you could start there if you wanted to.
1: And that would be yeah. a good place to yeah, start, but... right? So, Yeah, it would be. You hear, you hear I, more than I, at least half of the songs on that album are still in regular rotation on Christmas radio to this day. I mean, I mentioned, of course, Sleigh Ride by the Ronettes and, of course, uh, the all-time classic the Christmas Baby Please Come Home by Darlene Love. Mm. And you also hear... The version of "I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus" from that album, and Frosty the Snowman, and uh, sometimes you hear the version of "White Christmas" from that album. Uh, it, it, yeah, like I said, more than half of that album, it seems like, is still in regular rotation on Christmas radio today. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah, so and it, and it, it's a wonderful album.
0: Um, that, like I said, that'd be a great place for people starting a Christmas collection. And another Absolutely. one great thing in this article is you point out single artist albums. Now there's hundreds of thousands of artists that have recorded Christmas albums, yes. but you picked out some good ones, uh, that I really liked, like Barbara Streisand, yeah. and one that was popular around my house when I was a kid was Andy Williams. So Barbara, mm-hmm. um, as far as Barber, you said the easiest one artist Christmas album to find cheap is a Christmas album by Barber Streisand.
1: That's that's about right. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that that album was in print, well, was released in 1967, and it was in print for decades, uh, and, uh, and it, it just seems like every time I wander into it, it's, it's been a while since I've done this, but every time I wander into uh, a thrift shop, it seems like there's at least one copy yes. of a Christmas album. <laughs> you know whether it's you know it's rarely an original pressing anymore, but it's, it's usually a pressing from the seventies or maybe it's one from the eighties. That you know the ones from the eighties all have barcodes on the back cover. You know the, the Columbia, of course, changed its record label in nineteen seventy, and so you you know that that's an easy way to tell a seventies pressing. Um, it yeah, it, it's an album that. Yeah.
0: Uh, now just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a bad album.
1: It it was oh, Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not. It, it's it's a very nice album to listen to. It's it's got its critics. I mean there's that one uh, I think I mentioned in the article, she you know, she did a version of Jingle Bells that uh even today tends to polarize people because <laughs> it's such a radical rearrangement of the song that um some people, some people love it, and some people hate it. I mean, there are very few uh, Christmas songs that seem to have that very that strong polar opposite feeling about them. That 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 you know, you know, you know I think both of us know exactly what we're what we're thinking of when we uh, you know think of Barbara Streisand's version of Jingle Bells. Um, and but that's what makes you know, it so there's, unique,
0: there's, you know the the sound. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Jingle bells, jingle all the way! Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way! Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh! We're dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fears we go, laughing all the way. Bells on your ring, making spirits bright. Oh, what fun it is to sing a sleighing song tonight! Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way! Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh! Jingle buzz jingle buzz, jingle
0: all the way! And yeah, that's what makes people. I mean, let's face it they remember it
1: (laughs) yes whether they want to or not they remember it absolutely (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) but it like i said about my family in the 60s um you know i think he released this in 63 right the christmas uh the andy williams christmas album um yes in the 60s it was one of the most popular christmas albums certainly in my home uh my mother would Mm -hmm. play it every year in the late 60s, Uh, his version of the Christmas song. I think that was also released as a single, right?
1: Yes, it was.
0: Chestnuts
2: roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Tiny tots With their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Saz Is on his way He's loaded lots of toys And goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child Gonna spy to see if really know how to fly. In fact, in 19,
1: 1963, that was that was the year that Billboard began to have a separate chart for Christmas music and uh, it was up to the record labels whether they wanted their whether they wanted their Christmas albums on this separate chart or whether they wanted them on the main chart, and the vast majority chose to put them on the Christmas chart. Um, and that Andy Williams album uh, was the biggest new Christmas album of 1963, and the single of the Christmas song was the biggest selling Christmas single of 1963 of new music. Even though because their label his label Columbia chose not to have a chart on the Hot hundred we don't really know in retrospect just how big it was, but it you know like it was the number one song on I think through the entire Christmas season of 1963 now uh, oh, interestingly nine, there were so many gr- you know great Songs that were released in 1963, uh, Pretty Paper by Roy Orbison came out in 1963. Um, Little Saint Nick by the Beach Boys came out in 1963. Um, of course, that's the year that Phil Spector's Christmas album right. came out was 1963. So, um, and, and that's just the ones off the top of my head that, you know, that live on to this day. Um, but at the time, the Andy Williams album, uh, was the, the biggest selling christmas album of its of the year that it came out it was a you know bigger selling than you know than any of the others and what's interesting even though of course the christmas song was the single the um the songs that today are best known from that album were two songs that were not singles at the time uh, of course one of them was it's the most wonderful time of the year oh yeah and the other yeah, and the other one is the, the the medley of Happy Holiday with the holiday season, uh, which uh, and you know, in fact, both of those songs. I in fact, I just just yesterday I was looking at the current Hot Hundred in Billboard, and both of those are in the top fifty on the Hot Hundred right now. <laughs>
0: Yet the Christmas song wasn't, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, if, if several years ago, Billboard changed its. Chart rules that allow it allowed Christmas songs to return to the Hot 100 (laughs) if they if if they if they got enough airplay and sales and streams and whatnot. And in fact, um, you know, of course, Mariah Carey's uh, "All I Want for Christmas Is You" is now the number one song. Interesting, Um, and uh, and in fact, this week the new chart there are five Christmas songs in the top ten, and I and I I think there is at least. There's almost there's got to be close to twenty in the top fifty. It's it's, it's <laughs> and it's yeah, it's, just it's, still it's, just, it's still a big business.
0: It's still a big business. I can't. Uh, I think of so many artists that have done christmas stuff um now yeah. so that gives a good segue into contemporary artists which you didn't cover we could do that uh, next year but uh contemporary artists like mariah carey and rock and roll christmas yeah. records you got not only do you have mariah carey but you got bruce springsteen you too you mentioned the pretenders all have great christmas mm-hmm. songs um there's been great christmas rock and roll compilations The most popular is probably Do They Know It's Christmas, though, right? From Band Aid in 1984.
1: Do you think that's probably yeah. the most one popular one? That one, well, well, certainly, certainly in the UK, because uh, that song when it came out in 1984 actually broke sales records in Britain that had been held since Beatlemania. Yeah, uh, wow. yeah, you know, you know, and yeah, and um, and it continued to sell year after year. Uh, what's weird in America is that. It was only, the, the single was only in print for one year. In is that the US. true?
0: Wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and the, and the reason was because of, a, it was a snafu, basically. What happened was, of course, the term Band Aid is a, a trademark for you know, what you put on your, your <laughs> yes. little ouchies on your body. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's, I, the trademark, of course, is owned by Johnson & Johnson. And uh, uh, um, so, so the... That sucks. Um, so when it was real... Yeah, well, but, see, here's the thing, though. Um, you know, they got, a, you know, the Band-Aid Trust in England got a one-year license, to use the name. The thing was, they, they never bothered to renew the license. And... Mm yeah you know, someone interviewed people with Johnson and Johnson years later and said, Oh we would have been happy to let them continue using the name they just never let. they just never asked us <laughs> so you, know, you can't really yeah you, know, you can't really blame you know, this is not uh, you know you can't really blame corporate America for that when you no. just you know you blame uh you know, you know, you know. By this time, of course, Bob Geldof was, you know, still, you know, you know, still involved in, you know, counting the proceeds, and of course, Live Aid had happened, right. and all that other stuff, and and so it was more of an omission than anything else. Um, and, it, and so it took a long time. You know, the the Band Aid song is, you know, the is on numerous compilations in England, hmm. but it's on only a handful here in the U.S. and right. that's. Primarily, you know, primarily why. I think the, um, I remember at one time that the only two CDs that were released in the U.S. in which you could find, uh, Do They Know It's Christmas? one of them was the very first American version of Now That's What I Call Christmas. Um, and the other one was a greatest hits album by Midge Ewer. <laughs> mm,
0: interesting. <laughs>
1: yeah. It, um, it's-
0: and it's funny because Christmas has crossed genres like in, crossed into heavy metal. I mean, Twisted Sister has done a lot of Christmas music, uh, heavy yeah, metal Christmas. Uh, um, yeah. So, so it it's popular and,
1: with yeah, all walks and, of life. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and with Twisted Sister, there's two interesting stories that involve Christmas music. Uh, think about this: their, their, their best known song, We're Not Going to Take It. Right, it's actually loosely based on Oh Come, All Ye Faithful." <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and and then the other thing involving Christmas music and Twisted Sister was that, uh, of course, Dee Snyder, uh, who was the lead singer and wrote most of the songs um, in the 1990s, uh, his wife asked him. You know, she ba- you know, basically, you know, he asked her, "What, what, what can I give you for Christmas?" And she said. Um, write me a Christmas song. Hmm. And, and, then so, and so he did. He's, at first he had a hard time because, you know, by then he was wondering, well, what, what can be said about Christmas that hasn't already been said? <laughs> well, he, you know, he finally came up with a song and he and some friends of his, they, they went to a professional recording studio and recorded it. And there was a producer by the name of Rick Wake to um, be careful of that not Rick Wakeman, but Rick Wake yeah. who, helped him, who helped him produce the song and he made, made a copy of it and of course, and gave it to his wife for Christmas and she loved it. Well, what Dee Snyder didn't know was that Rick Wake had kept a copy of the song for himself. <laughs> well, a, a several, a several years later, Rick Wake was working on a Christmas album and submitted Dee Snyder's song for this Christmas album uh, without telling the artist who D. Snyder was and what his what he was famous for, hmm. uh, and the artist loved the song and recorded it on for the Christmas album, and this became one of the biggest selling Christmas albums in the history of the genre. And I'm talking about Celine Dion, and the album is called These Are Special Times, and the song is called The Magic of Christmas Day. i That album, I I think, worldwide has sold more than ten million CDs, That's and um, came out nineteen ninety eight, and and um you know, and of course, and D. Snyder had no idea that this song had even been submitted for this album until until he was told that <laughs> it was going to be on the album. And years later, he did an interview about uh, the song, and he and he was in a nice uh, home wherever he's living now, and he called this place where he was living the house that Celine Dion built <laughs>
0: <laughs> and hey look at trans Siberian orchestra too they, they've got all these yeah. heavy metal veterans uh, the singer from yeah. sabotage and they do very well mm-hmm. I don't you know I think most of their money comes from uh, live performances right but they always put out something on on CD usually
1: um, yeah they, they yeah yeah, they well Trans Siberian Orchestra actually, and I don't know if they're still doing this. Of course, um, Paul it, O'Neill, who founded it, passed away. Um, yes. a couple I, was it a couple years ago now. Right, um, and but 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 TSO is still going, and um, the um, um, what they actually do now is they have to meet the demand for people who want to see them during the Christmas season, is they actually have two different touring groups called Trans-Siberian Orchestra. One usually tours one part of the country and one tours the other part of the country so that they can go to as many different places in November and December as they can. Uh, So there actually are two different uh, TSO touring groups. Some of them play on the albums. Some of them don't. Uh, you know, some members of one group. You know, it, it, there's a, there's a lot of crossover between the two. Yes. You know, you know, I think both groups of TSO have people who've played on the albums. You know, some of the same singers, uh, etc. Uh, I mean, that's something that Mannheim Steamroller started to do. Yeah. Um, in the '90s as well is actually have two different touring groups with the same name that go around the country during the Christmas season and, you know, and trans Siberian orchestra has done the same thing. And but apparently I, neither one is any better or worse than the other right. one. So people get the same experience regardless which group they see.
0: It makes perfect sense because, you know, heavy metals and tension dramatic. And, you know, if you want oh, to yeah. put on a Christmas orchestra play, that it makes perfect sense. And I don't know. I mean, I, their their uh recordings are great too. I'm not sure if they're on vinyl, but I know they're on CD and maybe they yeah. sell them at the concerts. I've never been to the a show, maybe you have, but um mm-hmm. that would be no, I've, I've, sense yeah. too.
1: I've never seen them in concert. I they they came out several years ago with sort of a Christmas greatest hits collection. Yes. Uh and I can't can't yeah. I think they called it the Ghosts of Christmas Past or something like right. that, and um, and that is I know that's on vinyl. Yes. Um, okay. I yeah I, yeah I don't know whether any of the individual albums are because they were quite lengthy. Um, they, yes. they tended to push the limits of the uh, you know the seventy seventy nine minutes that you can put up.
0: Yeah. it Became like it was TV. crossing over to Prague a little bit. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, m- yeah, most of the songs were never quite that long and not quite that complicated. It's just right. that, the, you know, you, but the whole prog idea of, you know, Legs. an album telling a story. Yes. Um, which, you know, that, um, you know, and they often did stretch into the 60 to 70 minute range, which, right. of course, would be uh, more songs than you could fit on one record. And... um and maybe not enough to fit on two. Right. <laughs> just as, a, um, and of course, in the era when those CDs first came out, there wasn't a whole lot of vinyl being done. In fact, there was very, very little Christmas vinyl being done. Uh, say from about 1992 to about oh 2004 or so. Those are just random years, but in those years, hardly anything Christmas came out on vinyl. Right. Uh, there were there were things that did but there wasn't a whole lot of it. Yeah. I was saying an album that's been reissued many times in the last few years is uh, the Vince Guaraldi soundtrack yes. on Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes. And, and there's, there's this guy on Facebook who has, I think, 22 different variations <laughs> of the album. Almost all of which have come out in like the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's you great. Know, because,
0: Different one just came out
1: this of, year. <laughs> so. Yeah, a new one came out, yeah. Different colors of vinyl. Yeah. Yeah, there'd be a ver- version that was only at Barnes & Noble, a version only at Walmart, a version only at Target, uh, a version only at um, Newbury <laughs> Comics, a version only at Amoeba, you know, all the different places. That's, a, that's and, fantastic. and there'd be picture discs, colored vinyl, um, you know, the whole nine yards. It just, and, and almost all of them, again, have come out in like the last, you know, 10 to 20 years that's a future (laughs) hey
0: that's a future story tim right there um yeah you could talk to the
1: guy (laughs) yeah it it kind of makes me glad i got off the treadmill because (laughs) (laughs) there would have been a time where i would have been obsessing about trying to collect every single one of them myself i I hear you man
0: (laughs) Uh, i have someone do the same with other vinyl that's not Christmas, um, like the Tiana yeah. Brass, you know. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, thanks, Tim. I could talk forever uh, with you about vinyl sure. and records. Um, but hopefully now this will inspire people to start a, a Christmas collection for themselves um mm-hmm. I hope it's vinyl records but it could be CDs because yep. there's a wealth of them sure. out there. Hey cassettes too like you mentioned. That would be very yeah. interesting to get some cassette, classic cassettes. Um like True Value hardware I think you mentioned. So um yes. yeah so that hopefully someone this will inspire them and it will drive them to read um your article um mm-hmm. which you know listeners could pick that up. Uh, the latest issue of Goldmine, that's a January edition. It'll have your mm-hmm. article called Collecting Christmas. Um, or mm-hmm. you could go online at goldminemag.com and and read it. It's going to be up this week. So th- thank you very much, Tim. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. I hope readers also, they could go to goldminemag.com and uh They can subscribe to the print edition at a discounted price and sign up for our weekly e-newsletter and get a free download of Goldmine Extra. It's a PDF editorial compilation which focuses on the special column by Warren Kurtz called Fabulous Flip Sides. Um, I don't know if you were, you said you were a big 45 collector, right?
1: Oh, very, very much so.
0: So you would probably like Warren's fabulous flipside series because he talks about the B sides of popular singles, and uh-huh. there's a lot of interesting music there on the B side. Um, oh, sure. Some of it that turned out to be very popular, and other stuff that was just underrated and you know, yeah, and really forgotten and- about.
1: Yeah, and, and of course, there are a fair number of Christmas songs on B-side. There you go. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tim, thanks so much. And uh, I'm glad um, you're writing again for Goldmine, and readers will be seeing more of Tim's work and future issues. Uh, This is Pat Prince signing off. Editor, see you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. And once again, thanks, Tim.
1: And you're quite welcome. Thank you for having me.